Welcome to another edition of Perspectives from Rochelle Co. My name is Laura Kühnlin, and for today's edition, I'm joined by Andreas Feller, Head Private Banking Zurich. Hello, Andy. After 14 episodes, uh, you're actually our first Swiss guest on this podcast today. Um, and not only because of that, of course, I'm particularly looking forward to our conversation. Let's stay on the topic of Switzerland for a bit. A country with a population of 8.7 million, boasting the highest density of millionaires in the world. Sonia, I'm curious, does this suggest that you essentially grew up in the world of private banking? Good morning, Lara. Uh, happy to be here. Um, yes, indeed, I'm Swiss, born in Bern, uh, capital city. Um, the world of private banking, in my very own situation, not at all. Uh, my actually upbringing was more dominated by uh, different professions, um, being brought up uh, in the family with marine biologists, engineers building water reserves in uh, in africa um so fairly uh, fairly international far away from uh, private banking on the other side i think private banking in itself is is obviously a a service and industry uh, people tend to forget it's an export industry of switzerland with a long tradition uh many decades uh, probably a century uh slightly longer maybe but we shouldn't forget that maybe more than 100 years ago you know switzerland has been actually the poorest country in Europe. So through qualified immigration, um, relocation of industries, building up industries, uh, Switzerland has emerged actually to to what it is today. And alongside of that, with this uh, substantial wealth creation, that industry of private banking has uh, has built up and I think is now very strong uh, and, and stands on its own and, and, and probably uh, is seeking for its competitors globally. Um, and I still believe the combination of Switzerland and private banking holds very firm and strong. Um, you already mentioned your upbringing a little bit. How did you approach the topic of work? My upbringing, as I say, was a bit non-traditional in the sense of, of industries, but my parents always told me, try to be independent as soon as possible. That means I've done a lot of work aside to finance some of my hobbies, um, and alongside of that, you know, Switzerland provides this beautiful um, educational path, um, either obviously the university, but as well, you can go through an apprenticeship and then you can continue uh, your learning. And actually, that's the one uh, I've decided to take at the age of 16. Uh, I've done an apprenticeship. It was great. During the apprenticeship, I've realized there got to be more. So I decided to go to uh, University of Applied Sciences. I did Erasmus Exchange, uh, studied in London, lived there. So I think it's beautiful. And, and obviously, uh, Switzerland is very particular on that and uh, and fairly unique. The stereotype of a wealth manager is a well-dressed Swiss banker who enjoys golf and uh, oversees the wealth of billionaires. As we sit here today in our Zurich office, I can confirm to our listeners that you look very smart indeed. And I also know of your passion for golf. So it might be challenging for you to dispute uh, these stereotypes. However, I know, of course, that your profession is much more complex than that. Can you please provide our listeners with more insights into your role in general and also what sets Rothschild & Co. apart in meeting our clients' needs? Yeah, stereotypes and Swiss bankers and then on top of it, golf. <laughs> I think you nailed it in my case. Um, but that's actually only true for about the past 12 years. Uh, through that, that by now I'm addicted to golf, but uh, actually back, as I say, in my upbringing, um, playing sports, tennis was me way more dominant. And, uh, but the beauty about golf is 
you know, you can spend time uh, with people. Do you want um, to say something about your handicap? <laughs> no, my handicap is still double digits, so okay. that's fine. Uh, I think it's great if you're a banker, you shouldn't have a single handicap. Uh, if it happens, it happens. But I think right now I'm well protected by the image that I spend more of my time actually on the golf than actually in the office, um, which I can confirm is not the case. But it is what it is. But obviously what I like is uh, I think a lot of successful people, a lot of interesting people, they actually share the passion. Um, and, uh, you know, to me these days, I say it's my yoga. It's obviously uh, usually or, or mostly in a beautiful countryside. You enjoy great company. Sometimes if you do it with clients or business, you start 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, the rest of the day is completely different topics. Uh, you learn so much, uh, not only from the conversation, but as well, you learn so much about people when you watch them, how they play golf or how they behave. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's actually a an amazing platform how to get to know each other you know, in a very efficient and more pragmatic way, uh, maybe not from meeting rooms, not from video calls. And uh, even for myself, I, I honestly, the way I play golf, I can really see myself in many ways. And, and for that, I think it's a, it's a great sport. But there's others, but maybe coming back on the on the element of time. And I think that's really where Rothschild uh, sets apart from other institutions. It's we have a very strong backing from the family that they really want us to spend time uh, with clients because they strongly believe that it's the essence of our business is to gain experience with our clients, to grow with our clients. And there's no shortcuts to that. That means you have to grant time and you have to listen. And I think uh, those elements, um, we say strongly as well for management support. Uh, that means that our relationship managers on average, they do have less clients per relationship manager. It comes at the cost, uh, but that's perfectly fine. Um, we are happy um, to invest there. And, and I think this is something where we really, really contrast a lot to some of the, the, the other banks where scalability and product penetrations, mm -hmm. uh, in-house products actually has taken over you know, the vast majority of conversations. And uh, you already mentioned the early days of your career. How has your job changed since you began working? It changed quite a bit. I mean, first and foremost, I must say, uh, my initial career was in the investment banking. Obviously, high frequency, tactical, um, short term. But we, even back then, you know, it was still Swift and Telex and, you know, no mobile phones. Uh, obviously, now everything is electronic. Sometimes I feel a bit sorry for, for the youth growing up in banking because they just look in the screen and it's flicking and it's, you know, you see like red, blue, uh, green, um, and, and obviously no longer how a physical stock exchange would work, et cetera. Uh, but still, so I think technology has brought in, um, a lot, um, almost, too much to some degree. I think uh, these days it's very, very difficult to navigate in, with all the information. So here I think it changed as well uh, from, you know, um, consuming information ourselves to even producing information ourselves almost now to try to filter out, you know, the relevant information for decision taking. And I think that's been a a huge change, in, so to speak, um, and uh, at the same time, it's 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 very interesting, and obviously, um, experience um, matters today even more than it used to be, um, because I think that's exactly one of the key elements these days. With experience, you might have this natural distance of not acting on every single new, you know, trend and 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 hype, and you know, take a bit of distance, look at it from a bit 
from the outside? Have you seen that before? Of course, we have. So, so maybe not being solicited too quickly on something that potentially might be the the new big thing. So, so with that, I think it changed. Um, in essence, on wealth management, they have probably changed a bit less because it's still about people, mm-hmm. and 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 there, even for the foreseeable future. Even with artificial intelligence, I do not see any changes ahead because I think it remains a human business, uh, which I think is beautiful. You already mentioned time and experience. What are your thoughts on the current market environment then? There's many, um, even as well to some degree coupled with with hope that mean reversion really still stands and, and holds true, which would mean it's probably right now we're peaking or hopefully peaking uh, when we see where the current market environment is in terms of instability, how fragile the world order is. So my hope is that we're going to go back uh, into the normalized, normalized environment over time. Sometimes very difficult to say what will it be uh, that it's going to be bring it back. Uh, but I think what at least history can tell us that there's always triggers that will bring us back. And it's like a a pendulum that swings from left to right. And I think we will see again some some swings that will come and, and basically and, and hopefully will bring the world back a bit in a more normalized uh, environment. In between, I think it's something where obviously we are in high demand. Um, again, coming back with, with the experience, I think it's, uh, it's something which we can bring to the table to our clients, uh, help them to navigate and really make sure that investment strategy is chosen actually do hold through those uh, volatile markets. And uh, even if those volatile markets tend to be maybe longer than what we thought, investment strategy uh, certainly will actually survive uh, all these environments. And I think that's exactly where where we really are are in demand, as said. And I think that's where we can really add value, um, which is sometimes difficult to quantify. But it's exactly in those moments as we stand right now. I think that's where we can show the value and that's what our clients do appreciate. And again, having the time actually and taking the time in these moments um, is exactly what we need. And that's what we have and that's what we can bring to our clients. And I think that's exactly, again, where we are extremely well positioned uh, from a philosophy where the family backs us on that. So I think it's, uh, in a way, we are in a, in a, in a very comfortable position um still the hope remains that within 12 months time the world is a bit in a more milder place uh, so to speak and let's turn to the future then um over the next 25 years the world is set to become a inheritocracy with an estimated 100 trillion US dollars being transferred from the baby boomer generation to their heirs how can we support our clients in this process yeah it's indeed uh, it's probably the the biggest wealth transfer um ever um we can support in many ways. Um, first and foremost, one way is to, as well, out of our experience and what we have seen is try to support our clients um, to maybe pass on the wealth a bit earlier than usual. Uh, we literally have seen that, you know, a lot of people do struggle to hand over the wealth. Uh, they somehow have the feeling that they, they might lose something or maybe as long as they leave, obviously, you know, they want to, you know, they've been independent on their wealth. And, and in a way, when they pass it on, they have that feeling that out of the blue, they might become dependent actually on the generation they've been handed over, mm-hmm. despite the fact that actually those are usually the children's. Mm-hmm. But it's something where we can see, uh, you know, it's pushed out to, in many cases, almost to the last minute, 
And then in the last minute, you know, you have to do, you know, sometimes decisions which are not the greatest in, in the long-term planning. So at least pick up the topic early, have a dialogue and be prepared whenever then you feel prepared. And I think here we can be a, a great sparring partner uh, with various resources on what potentially might be good or maybe, you know, um, put some money towards the children, but as well put some money maybe for charities, philanthropic uh, areas. I think all those elements are are very relevant these days and, and uh and here, I think we can uh, we can really add, and, and obviously as well, what we can do is um, because every client situation is not similar to the next one, but we always as well have similar topics, and I think sharing these, you know, concerns, um, sharing the problem that might arise with our clients, um, they do appreciate as well. First and foremost, they know we're not they're not alone. Um, you know, it, it's fairly common. So as well, I think on that topic, you know, um, it's good for them to know that um, others might do the same. Uh, we had cases where actually, especially around the topic of philanthropy, we would have been bringing, you know, a couple of clients together and they started dialogue, they started to initiate projects together. I think here, there, you know, we are, we are more an enabler and maybe sometimes a, a psychologist than, than, than a banker. But I think that's what, what the beauty about our job is, you know, Every day, a new situation. Every situation is differently. But again, you know, bring as well your kids as early as possible close to, to wealth management, I think, is key as well. Because it is a, as well, in many cases, a burden to the to the youth when they inherit. And so I have that fear that they should make sure that it's going to last for the next generations as well. Comes back to the be prepared. Yeah, be prepared is always good. Uh, I think here, again, you know, we... Um, we can provide a lot. I mean, when we look at our own roots uh, being now in the seventh generation, I think we mm. can really, from a very credible point of view, bring in a lot of expertise, um, which uh, clients and you know do do appreciate actually. That already brings me to our final question, which I ask all my guests, and which is, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self? The only thing I'd advise to myself and younger self all the time is. You know, stay curious and invest in education. And I think this is a long life journey. Um, and uh, education, you know, it's less about what education. It's it's just the fact that you have to invest because it keeps your brain active. It keeps you curious. It keeps you open. So in a way, it just keeps you flexible for whatever changes will come. And I think, you know, that combination, invest in education, stay curious, in my view, is a, is a recipe for, especially for my younger self, um, but I think anyway, for, for any, honestly, uh, for, for every every generation, but for the younger self, I think education, stay curious. Many thanks, Andy. There are actually two things I'm taking away from this conversation. Be prepared and uh, stay curious. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed in this episode, please go on www.rothschildandco.com dot com forward slash insights. Thank you for listening. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild and Co for information purposes only, and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild and Co.
The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the fairness or accuracy of it. The value of investments, and the income from them, can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance.